Hi, I'm Sophie. Hi, I'm Mark. And this is You Know What I Like, where we sit down each month and flail about something we're unhealthily obsessed with. You know what I like. And you know what I like. Legally Blonde! Although it began as a novel of the same name, written by Amanda Brown, Legally Blonde launched into mainstream consciousness through the 2001 film starring Reese Witherspoon, Luke Wilson, and podcast favourite Jennifer Coolidge. The film follows Elle Woods, played by Reese Witherspoon, as she heads to Harvard Law School to convince her now ex-boyfriend, Warner Huntington III, that she can be serious. However, along the way, Elle discovers a natural aptitude for law and goes on a personal journey of self-actualization. The film's success spawned a, admittedly slightly unhinged, cinematic sequel in 2003 called Legally Blonde 2 Red, White and Blonde, and it also spawned a direct-to-DVD sequel, Legally Blondes, in 2009 with an entirely different cast. However, the film's popularity did lead to the production of the Tony Award-nominated musical, which we will touch on. The film is known by many for its success story, whereby Elle's personal knowledge of hair and fashion saves the day. But of course, what the film is best known for is The Bend and Snap. As per usual, we should start with how we got into this topic. So, Legally Blonde... Yes. <laughs> and my brain, I said the what? title, and then my brain went, and we're done. <laughs> um, this is about Legally Blonde. Done. Yes. Yeah. Let's pass. Cracked it. Nailed it. (laughs) So I don't remember the first time I watched Legally Blonde, actually. It's just one of those things which I just must have watched it probably on a sleepover when I was like in primary school. It was like late, late noughties. Mm -hmm. So like probably when I was in secondary school at a sleepover sometime, we all watched Legally Blonde. Yeah. And then I've just managed to see it a number of times throughout my life. Okay. Um, So I've seen Legally Blonde, Legally Blonde 2, Red, White and Blonde. I have not seen Legally Blondes, the third film, which we do not speak of. (laughs) And I listened to half of the musical soundtrack as podcast preparation. Okay. What is your experience? (laughs) My experience is the same as it is with like a lot of like films that are like stereotypically aimed at like quote unquote girls. Yeah. Where like I very much internalized the whole like I shouldn't be watching these films because they're made for girls. I still find it amazing that you have that internalized in you, but you also loved High School Musical with such incredible zeal. I'm a complex human being, Sophie. <laughs> um, because I was like aware of it like, existing because I think like, I was aware. I think of it. it is it is one that is like in popular culture, yeah. isn't it? Like, but like it was only when the musical came out that I like properly became like aware of it, and then I got really like into the musical like a few years ago. Yeah. So like I learned the whole story and that through that. But like until today, I'd not actually seen the film before. Yeah, I like that you watched it on the day of recording. <laughs> What do you mean? I prep well in advance. (laughs) So, in my defence, I was going to watch one yesterday and one today. But then yesterday, I went to go and see The Hate You Give in the cinema. I felt like I couldn't watch The Hate You Give. Yeah. And then go from that and then watch watch Legally Blonde. (laughs) That's really valid. I'll give you that. Like, it's not like a double feature that you're like, I'm ever going to see in the cinema. No. (laughs) (laughs) 
But I have some bad news, Sophie. Oh, okay. Because, like, we choose these topics. And as with The Dark Crystal, we chose it before we had seen the film itself. Yeah, why we did that, I don't and know. And then you came away, like, a bit meh about the film. Yeah. <laughs> and that's me with Legally Blonde. I will add on to that that i haven't actually rewatched legally blonde in a long time mm-hmm. and i have more of a complicated reaction to it than i used to okay okay which we will unpack okay like so like i feel like you can't talk about this film by putting it like in strict um comparison to the hate you give oh please like, are we gonna compare it to a film that i haven't seen tom you know the base concept of uh, of the hate yeah. you give, where like it's about the like race relations and like police brutality like in america yeah and like that compared to the problems that the main character um l has in this film like it's hard to not see it as me watching it now like home without being like she is like such a privileged person I will say that I think it is important to recognise the intentional tonal differences between The Hate You Give and Legally Blonde. <laughs> like, I'm not drawing, like, a direct comparison. Like, I'm trying to, like, segue, you know? And But also, I understand the point you're making. But Okay, right. I have a point that I would like to discuss, which is portrayal of femininity and strength throughout this film. Mm-hmm. And a part of that does directly deal with the point you are raising in regards to the inherent privilege of Elle Woods. Yes, because like I do really like the whole, whole message of the film, that she is trying to be like accepted for who she is. But like that's really hard on some level when she has the money and the like stature to do anything that she wants to do. Yes, so what is valuable to me and to other women who and i will specify this probably to other women who are like white middle class women like me yeah what i find valuable about this film is its portrayal of femininity in relation to strength insofar as especially bearing in mind the time that this film was done in you don't get at that time a lot of films where you have a a and i hate using this term but i'm going to use it because it's how we discuss these things Mm. strong female character for a very long time having a strong female character means having a girl who like I'm not like other girls. Yeah, like it's the um, Joss Whedon, like physical strength is like a strong female character. And like a, a strong female character has to be physically strong. A strong female character, a lot of the time there's like this, she's just one of the boys. Mm. She's a strong, she's not like those other girls, those silly feminine girls. And it's yeah. this prioritizing of like the masculine attributes, etc. So like why I loved this film when I was younger is that like a lot of her like feminine things, like her enjoyment of, beauty regimes and her knowledge of fashion and stuff like this comes back into play and is something that is a strength to her in her legal career and is like for me and for a lot of women that's a really valuable thing of course yeah (laughs) but also to acknowledge your point that is a very valid thing for a very specific type of woman and there are a lot of women for whom a this is not an accessible form of um empowerment because it's very much like if she fails at this she's got options yeah like she'll be fine (laughs) Yeah, yeah, like it it is that thing where you're like something doesn't have to be empowering to all women for it to be empowering to some women mm-hmm. but also it's important to recognize like the limitations and all of that jazz mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you have like a moment like in the film that you can point to and be like um here is the example from this film that's empowering to you i'm a person who like for example in my final year of university my personal life was crashing and burning however i was just like 
I'm at university. I'm on the cusp of getting a first class degree. I'm going to work my ass off to get a first class degree, regardless of my anything, how everything else in my life is going. Mm -hmm. What I always found great about this film is like the bits where she really buckles down and like she's being a good law student. I know what you mean. I can't imagine doing all this and Callahan's internship next year. Well, come on, you're never going to get the grades to qualify for one of those spots. You're not smart enough, sweetie. Wait, am I on glue, or did we not get into the same law school, Warner? I'm never going to be good enough for you, am I? Uh, oh, come on. Just forget it. I'll show you how valuable our woods can be. And, like, that just really connects to, like, the type of worker that i am i think is that Mm -hmm. like if i'm determined to do something then i'll at least like try my very hardest and even if i fail i'm gonna fail having known that i like did the best i could yeah cool um can i say my favorite bit yes uh mine's actually from the musical so like i don't know like if you got this far so like it's the song at the end of the first act and it's called um so much better like and it's the moment at which she finds out that she has been put on the list to join um callaway callahan his team of interns yeah and it's just like her expression of like excitement she gets to have this song where she just like gets to have like a i have achieved this like in spite of everyone like saying that i couldn't she just like gets to have this like pure moment of just i feel so proud of myself right now yeah <laughs> And like I feel like um, that's a song that I can keep coming back to as like a somewhere between like motivational and I'm um, commiserating when I'm like in yeah. like a bad headspace or whatever, and I'm just like, yeah, so much better. <sighs> um, do you want to talk about why you don't like it? Okay, and then we'll bounce off of there. Okay. So my base for not really liking it very much. So like I planned to watch both films today, but then like I watched the first one and like I didn't really like it very much. Oh okay. Then like I looked and saw that that the first one is the better one. So I yeah, was if like, you didn't like the first one, you shouldn't have watched the second yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> then my partner like read out the plot to me, and it sounds like a fever dream. Can I, I would just say. <laughs> The tonal difference uh-huh. between the first film and the second film is vast and strange. But before we get into that that film structure, because like I do want to get your reaction to it. Okay. My problem with the first one is that if you have to like pick a genre for this film, like it's a comedy, yeah? Like, how would you agree? It's a a rom-com. Yeah. But, like, it's not funny in a lot of places. And it does this, like, weird thing that, like, I noticed. It's, like, mostly, like, at the beginning, where there's, like, a lot of strange dead space between lines. Elle, (laughs) now, I know you're upset about all this, but can't you just take a Percocet? Okay, once Warner sees me as a serious law student, he'll totally want me back. It's a completely brilliant plan! But isn't it hard to get into law school? Well, I have the highest GPA in Delta Nu. The one time it worked is when you have um, Jennifer Coolidge and she's trying to do the bend and snap on the UPS guy. And then she punches him in the face. Yeah, so like when she is looking at the pen and she's like thinking about like trying to drop it so that she can do the bend and snap. What I love is that they don't do slow motion. So this whole like two minute period of her like looking at the pen, her looking at the ground, 
like he's all in like real time <laughs> and you can see him there staring at her like what the fuck is going on and that was hilarious <laughs> yeah so like would you agree with what i've said would you call this film like a really funny film i i think okay see the thing is is what i find about rom-coms is that most rom-coms are not super laugh out loud funny Mm -hmm. but it is and i think this is this thing about rom-coms where even though they have the word comedy in the name they're not laugh out loud funny they're this type of like fun romantic-y thing and so like that's not something which necessarily bothers me and i think that's just because i'm used to watching rom-coms and i'm used to being like oh it's a rom-com not a comedy okay but like that is that's just my experience of consuming rom-coms like i don't know why we call them rom-coms okay. <laughs> <laughs> like because like um i came from the musical yeah and what i love about what the musical does because like i do still like the musical yeah is that it takes the same plot as the film and makes it like inherently like 10 times as ridiculous <laughs> and i think that like that creates like a lot more comedy for me yeah so like i feel like i've gone from like one version of this story to another and like expected that to translate but it doesn't yeah Whereas I'm not going to the film for comedy, so I think that doesn't bother me. Okay. But, like, to directly compare, like, a big difference. Yeah. In the film, she sends, like, a video essay. Yeah. Of her, like, sat in a spa and, like, walking around the street saying random lore jargon. Yeah. And, like, all this, like, odd stuff. Yeah. But in the show, she flies to Harvard and then she brings, like, a big band with her and they do, like, a big, like, dance as her personal essay. And I feel like that is just like so like inherently batshit like with the <laughs> fact that like that works so like those are very different in how they like yeah. approach the, the same situation and like i think that i like the show like a lot more okay so like um what do you like about the film then as like a romance that's not comedic i will also say that i don't love the romance in this film okay <laughs> hear me out okay i'd like to reintroduce you to a segment we've done before called should have been queer though <laughs> Let me propose to you my rewrite of Legally Blonde. Okay, yes, go. Al Woods does all the stuff up to getting to Harvard and then, you know, in her first class, this stone-cold bitch Vivian, like, oh God, how rude was that? However, may I introduce you to this typical rom-com trope from enemies to lovers? (laughs) Who does she have the most passionate relationship with? It's not Warner, it's not Emmett, it's fucking Vivian. That's who it is. She thinks she's vile. Vivian thinks she's vile. They have all the hijinks and the blah. And then, as the thing goes on, Vivian would see that actually, although what she thought in Elle was fakery, is actually just genuine. And that's just who she is. And then Elle would see that what from Vivian seemed like pure bitchiness was maybe like this front hiding like a vulnerable self underneath. And as they worked closely together on the trial, and they saw how much of a creep Callahan was, and the fact that he's always calling on Vivian to make the coffee and shit like that because he's a wang. Mm -hmm. they'd like bond over like oh actually like blah 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 and it would bring them together and then during the climax instead of Vivian seeing Callahan hit on Elle and being like oh blah 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 she would be like this is disgusting 
disgraceful and they'd support each other through it and then like maybe that support would turn into romance and they'd be like oh men are creeps oh that's why we should be together the two of us and then they go for like a drink to commiserate and bitch yeah and then like one too many drinks and like oh maybe they kiss and like they're a bit confused (laughs) but like it feels so right and then like that you know like this passion Uh rather than this dull I don't know like that does fit into like rom-com tropes a lot better I know I like I have not like Emmett is perfectly nice and I like that he supports Elle and I like that he obviously thinks that Elle is brilliant and is like all stuff like that that's Mm. lovely I just find it a bit bland like I'm just picturing you like sat by the TV trying to push them like come on I made Mr. S watch it with me and I told him the whole plan as it was going through and I was like look this is the moment when this should happen and he was like I agree with you they should be together and I was like thank you for this validation yeah so that's my petition is to rewrite Legally Blonde and to to make it gay who do we have to write to to get this to happen because and also um one of my things having rewatched it now is that i i don't love the approach to to gay people in it oh no like it's very like a mid noughties like approach to gay people it's like so of its time yeah we're cool with gay people but also like we're gonna stereotype you and you're just gonna be like jokes yeah yeah have you heard the song from the musical called um there right there no like it's the song where they are trying to work out if the witness is gay or not oh and like i can't decide how i feel about it oh dear (laughs) but look at his quaffed and crispy locks look at his silk translucent socks there's the eternal paradox look what we're seeing what are we seeing is he gay or european Or European, it's hard to guarantee. Is he gay or European? Because like, you know how when stereotype jokes are made from people like um in the community, yeah, like it feels okay. Yeah, but the same jokes coming from someone else, you're like, oh, you can't. You're like, oh no, that. babe. Yeah, that's an us joke to make. Yeah, not a you joke. Yeah. <laughs> Can I, and can I can I continue this into discussing the second film? Yes. Um, we I need to just talk about the second film at some point because it's fucking batshit. Like, do you need like a bit of therapy about it? It's just so tonally different. She wants to find Bruiser's mum so that she can come to the wedding, and it turns out Bruiser's mum is a dog in an animal testing facility. Wait, um, Bruiser is also a dog. Um, like, oh I'm yeah, Bruiser's a chihuahua. <laughs> yeah, just uh, <laughs> sorry. I just assume if people are here, then yeah. they've seen it. So Elle decides that she's going to ban animal testing, and so she goes to Washington. And there's this plot line that like one of the key committee members whose support she needs has a massive Rottweiler, mm-hmm. and then they take their dogs to the same like dog nursery, whatever those are called. Um, and they're gay. They love each other. They're like constantly humping each other. And there's the hearing and he's like, oh, heck, my dog's a homosexual. I'm a gun-toting Republican and I love my gay dog. And all this stuff. (laughs) And it's just, you know, when sometimes straight people are like really trying to make it clear to you that they're okay with the fact that you're queer. Yes. And they're like, I'm so fine. And you're like, are you fine? Because you're making like a whole thing of this. Yes. And it just feels a bit like that to me. It's that type of naughties. We're so fine with gay people, but also like we're having a whole joke about how the dogs are gay. Yeah. Can I can I just go into the weirdness of Legally Blonde to Red, White and Blonde? So like to begin with, like would you recommend it? I would recommend it if you're going in with the knowledge that you're about to just watch a wacky chick flick. 
Okay. So, like, earlier you asked me, what do I like about Legally Blonde? What I like about Legally Blonde is, in the world of chick flicks, Legally Blonde is just a lot of fun. Legally Blonde too. Jennifer Coolidge does a lot more improvising on Legally Blonde 2. Like in Legally Blonde 1, she's like a character. And then in Legally Blonde 2, she kind of just is Jennifer Coolidge. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> you know how when we did Austin Land, we talked about how the fact that she just mostly just ad-libbed. Her lines in that film were the best part of that film by far. Oh, 100%. <laughs> she does that in Legally Blonde 2, but they're just not quite as funny. Okay. Legally Blonde had like a lot of heart at its core and stuff like that and there is still some heart in Legally Blonde 2 I'll give you that but they were just like why don't we just sort of have a really loose plot line but mostly just go really out there like when we watched it Mr. S came out of the first one and he was like you know what it's a perfectly fine film and then he came out of the second one and he was like that was batshit crazy and I don't want to see it again (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah yeah. To bring it back to Jennifer Coolidge, I was quite disappointed that she was just a character. Yeah. Because you can see the beginnings of Jennifer Coolidge being herself. Do you know that the bend and snap scene nearly wasn't included in the film? Oh, wow. It's because they felt like Jennifer Coolidge's character had less of a plot role in yeah. it. And they felt like they needed to make more of a thing of it. So they wrote the bend and snap scene ah, to okay. make her have more of a plot line. So I wonder if part of that disappointment you feel is just because like, a lot of the time I feel like Jennifer Coolidge is cast to be Jennifer Coolidge because she's <laughs> yeah. got her particular brand of comedy. Yes. Whereas I feel like in this she was cast in a role and then they were like okay how can we make the most out of jennifer coolidge let's throw some more in yes okay rather than it be because it is based on a book yeah so presumably they've already got their characters and stuff like that you know with austin land i'm pretty sure they just hired her she ad-libbed 90 percent of her stuff and they were like great um i like to think that that they didn't even hire her camp for she that film yeah like it was just like amazing <laughs> and they were like yeah okay we can use this <laughs> um shall we do a quick fashion watch I was very confused um, by the fashion in this film, so like oh, I want babe. to hear your thoughts on it. <laughs> okay, right. Now it's time for Sophie's Fashion Watch. You need to understand that this film is peak naughty's fashion. So, um, can I ask a quick question? Yeah. Do you know um, Elle's shoes at the beginning of the film? Yes. Where she has these like wedges or something with like yes, yes, yes. big like rhinestone hearts like on the toes. Yes. Was that fashionable at the time? In ninety in late nineties, early noughties type thing. Yeah. This would have been fashionable. It's so gaudy now. Do you not remember Naughty's fashion? I Mark? guess not, I guess not. Good lord. <laughs> Do you not remember the time okay? The noughties brought us such delights as the very low-rise jeans with a very visible magenta thong on show. Okay. It brought us <laughs> shimmery lipsticks as well as shimmery eyeshadows. You just wore everything shimmery at the same time. Uh-huh. It brought us those hairstyles where you just tied your hair into lots of random little tiny, tiny ponytails <laughs> so that your whole head was covered in a whole head full of tiny, tiny ponytails. I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> the noughties was a fucked... This is why I have genuine problems with certain items of clothing Thing, and uh-huh. it is entirely hang-ups left over from the noughties <laughs> it was a dead time <laughs> however would you also like to know that in for both films reese witherspoon's contract stated that she gets to keep all of the outfits and she does and she has them still <laughs> i mean like it would be a good party piece so like i will say like this is naughty's fashion taken to an extreme in a film version okay and, like for sure but this is absolutely peak of its time um, I would like to do some mentioning of some pieces which I love yes. in this film. 
I, first of all, absolutely love. You know, they're shopping for the outfit that she should wear to the dinner where she yes. thinks she's going to be proposed to. Yeah. She tries on a really gorgeous blue sequin dress and is much better than the one she actually settles on and wears. I can remember thinking that, actually, yeah. 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 It's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. And much more of a statement piece, I will say. When they were like, oh, it's really special. Like, I have to make it memorable. And then she wore like a pink sundress. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, L, maybe. Yeah. What about the sparkly blue number? Yeah. I also actually do genuinely quite like the pink dress she wears to the court scene. Also, you know the outfit she wears that she thinks is a stereotypical lawyer outfit? Mm-hmm. I actually really love the smoking jacket. If you, t- <laughs> if you took that green smoking jacket and yeah. you wore it with a plain black pencil skirt, okay. it would be a statement piece and it would be good. It's pretty it's classy. The fact that the skirt yeah. is also shiny green that ruins it. Okay. Well, so like it's like I'm back to the peak noughties of too much. Yeah, too much. Yeah. If she'd paired it with like a neutral butte okay yeah also there there are a number like she looks great in the bunny outfit when she's doing the happy people don't shoot their husbands what a great look Mm -hmm. there there are a number of really good looks in this and even the ones that are like so over the top i kind of love just because they're so over the top Uh even the casual ones she's wearing like that pink beret with that stripy shiny like one shirt level off the shoulder type thing even that i'm just like this is too much why are you wearing this but also you look great and i support you um i feel like a beret is like peak naughties oh yeah yeah (laughs) i I, i'm not gonna name this friend Uh because she won't appreciate it but one of my friends when she was a teenager just had a massive collection of berets <laughs> and she just wore berets all the time and that's peak naughties to me it is it is it's, yeah. yeah um and then also in the second film um she wears like a very she it's like a the legally blonde pink but it's like a sort of like a, a jackie kennedy inspired outfit with the little box hat and everything mm-hmm. um that's also like a really actually lovely good look she looks really adorable Okay. Although, fun fact, for the entirety of the second film, Reese Witherspoon is wearing a wig. And that's the end of this month's Fashion Watch. Also, like, she's a cutie. Yeah. This film wouldn't be as good if it didn't have Reese Witherspoon oh, as yeah. the main character. Yeah. Like, a lot of it is just because everyone's like, oh, Reese. Yeah, like, um, I can see why this launched her. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I find it really funny. This is just a random thing. In the start of the second film, they have a scrapbook that is like her and Emmett's history. Yeah. And you know when the films do that thing where they show you photos that no one physically could have taken? Like the bend and snap is photographed. Her first meeting with Emmett is photographed. (laughs) And I liked to invent, I told Mr. S my backstory whereby there's just this little creep (laughs) who's just (laughs) hidden in all the bushes. Just taking photographs of these moments. <laughs> and then when the time came for them to make a scrapbook, they were like, this is my moment. They thought, like, um, we want to make a scrapbook. And they both had a moment where they, like, turned and looked and went, Steve! Yeah! <laughs> Steve in the bushes! This yeah, is your Steve time! Steve in the bushes! <laughs> is there anything you want to talk about? Because I feel like I've really been babbling so like i feel like i want to just talk about some of the bits of the musical that i did like because like i like don't just want to come into this like um and complain because i did that with our our saint mary's one already so like i don't want to do that again we've done too much complaining because we're really starting to talk about things that have more complicated yeah than just like i like it yeah so so like i talked um before about how i love that the musical like turns it up to 11 Yes. And they, because, like, you have, like, a lot more time, like, in a musical, so, like, you have to, like, expand certain roles. Yeah. And what they do with her sorority sisters is they turn them into a Greek chorus. Oh, fab. So they're, like, in her mind and, like, 
talk to her about things. Oh, that's really cool. And like, I really like like how ridiculous that becomes. Like, in this, this culminates in like a really great moment towards the end when her actual sisters come to see her. Oh my god, Al! Thanks, Greek chorus, but I don't need voices in my head today. Honey, it's us, the girls of Belton like it just has like a lot more like generally ridiculous moments i totally picked up on that because a song that i really liked from like a a musical like how does this song sound standpoint is i really liked the song ireland yes the irish fear nothing and no one they keep fighting till everyone's dead i'm not sure where this metaphor's going i just felt like it had to be said and then i was listening to the lyrics and i was just like this is weird it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like um they give the hairdresser character paulette yeah um she gets this like weird obsession with ireland yeah <laughs> and that she really wants to like fall in love with an irish person yeah and there's not really like much reason behind it that ends with like a great moment where because she keeps saying that she wants to marry someone called brandon or brendan because that's the like epitome of like an irish name to her then the ups guy comes in she calls him by his name but it's like um name b surname and she's like what does the b stand for and he's like, Brendan. Then they do an Irish jig on the stage for about five minutes. <laughs> and that's not even an exaggeration. I feel like the musical took some of the wackiness of the second film, mm-hmm. but just like in a slightly more nuanced way. Yeah, because the whole holic appeal of, of like absurd things yeah. is that like it really highlights the point that you're trying to make yeah yeah so like you get to like think about like why is this so ridiculous yeah because the story like of the film like itself like um isn't like a believable story i mean what's not believable i mean i I understand that it's taken to the nth degree yeah but like i mean at its core it's just like a here's a murder trial oh yeah but like i just mean like her like appeal the way that she solves the crime is like inherently ridiculous i get you you, yeah so so like by turning that up then you get to like have these like really sincere character moments that are like um hidden like amongst the craziness on that note because you've actually reminded me of something that i did like about the second film yeah there is a really nice genuine moment at the end of the second film Mm -hmm. when she's presenting her bill for the animal rights you know in the elwoods way where she brings up and she's like we need to talk about something that is of the most importance to the entire world we need to talk about my hair (laughs) but she does this speech about how the colorist did the wrong color and the shampooist used the wrong shampoo she was like she came out and she was furious and then she was even more furious because she was like i shouldn't be angry at them i shouldn't be i should be angry at myself because i didn't get involved and her whole point becomes that you need to get involved and that's i think one of the moments that the second film gets right Mm -hmm. where it uses this over-the-top dramatic speech that she's giving to make a really valid point about political engagement yes (laughs) you know yeah 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 like it like allows you to like sneak in with like a true meaning of the thing yeah it ruins it a bit for me at the end because she ends it with i just remember you're all beautiful And like that annoyed me because I was like, that's not relevant, Elle. Yeah. You're making a really good point about voter engagement. Yeah. But that was just that was just me. Um, do we want to talk about the third film that has been announced? Oh, I thought you were gonna say legally blondes. <laughs> oh no, no, no. <laughs> I was no. gonna be like, we did not speak of such things. <laughs> um well it's it's due to be released in twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. As of now, there are absolutely no details on IMDb about what it's about. Okay. Like um what do you hope that the film is gonna be about? Well, 
thought the end of the second film is like her and Emmett driving along and they were thinking about talking about oh maybe we should move somewhere where should we live should we be in Washington should we be in Boston and they drive past the White House and she looks at it and then she winks at the camera and like there is an outcome whereby she could be running to be president yeah. there's also an outcome where like she could be like a congresswoman mm-hmm. it's gonna be interesting because i feel like politically been a lot going on <laughs> i mean yeah. like a few things here and there it's just you know we've been it's been a bit of a time uh-huh. let's be honest it's been a few years it's been about <laughs> i'm just you know between like where we were when the first film came out yes and where we are now i mean like the first film what like home was that like george w bush at that point yeah it would have been so like that wasn't like a good time either yeah but it wasn't quite so much of like a obvious trash fire you know true i'm not saying that there wasn't stuff going on during george w bush no absolutely politics has always been busy and challenging and stuff yeah it will be interesting to see how much they choose to engage with that yeah you know like is it just like the first film a little light-hearted like well not light-hearted you know they deal with like sexual assault and murder but you know like is it like oh here's just an empowering story or like the second film did take a stance on animal testing and animal rights like you know that was their main message will they also pick a a topic you know will it be an exploration of a political message Mm -hmm. we're just gonna have to see i feel like with like a lot of the current climate of things yeah like you want like a mix of things that engage with it yeah and then things that are just like entirely friperous that like you just like have a great time with but it's also um reese witherspoon as a producer has picked some challenging things like yeah like you know like gone girl that's hers sharp Mm -hmm. objects stuff like that like these are not unchallenging texts so that does make me wonder if she's going to choose to go like the the engagement route you know yeah but like i feel like what like i would want personally yeah even though like i don't have like a huge dog in in this like franchise brand like in general but yeah. like um, what i would want like in a film in this like general vein like is something that does like engage to like a certain degree and make yeah. a stance but like i wouldn't want it to be like anything close to like a house of cards or anything oh no it absolutely yeah. could not in order to maintain the legally blonde like brand if yeah. you will with there there has to be a certain you know level of humor and like general silliness yes yeah so like does this tie back into our like should things be rebooted conversation like um do you feel like this should be but also I don't, this isn't a reboot this is just a sequel because a reboot would be doing legally blonde one all over again that is very true so do you think that there is room for more al woods in the universe i think there's room for a third film i have i'm optimistic about a third film because i feel like they've left it a decent amount of time and i'm intrigued by where we could go plot wise like it was you know sometimes there are unnecessary sequels like everything's been nicely rounded off mm-hmm. and then they revive it for no good reason yes i'm looking at you charm yeah. <laughs> you have to undo your ending in yes. an awkward way whereas like i feel like there could be a good story to tell I mm-hmm. hope that they find it. Okay. I hope we get some less stereotypical portrayals of things. Yes. For sure. <laughs> and like, I hope that they have like a gay character who's not a punchline. Yeah. Or like a stereotype. <laughs> because although like, for example, the lesbian in the first film, and I call her the lesbian because I don't remember her name and I'm very sorry. Yes. But the lesbian in the first film, whilst not being, she's not like the butt of a joke 
in many ways you know not like the guy is later mm. at the trial she is also like a complete walking stereotype yes like i feel like we have such a low bar for her film film needs it's at least nice to see a, a chick flick from this or not even a chick flick like a comedy a vague comedy film from this era whereby like the joke isn't oh gay people are disgusting yeah yeah like it's not friends yeah like sometimes your benchmark is oh like they don't hate us which is sad <laughs> but you know i entirely know what you mean yes oh could, actually can i end it on a quotation from reese witherspoon yes because we have knocked the film quite a lot i will like to say that i do like the film <laughs> and there's this quote from reese witherspoon which essentially talks about why she likes the film mm-hmm. um she says at the beginning she works hard to get into harvard law school so she can impress her boyfriend and win him back then she becomes much more conscious of her own identity and begins asserting herself under very competitive conditions with her fellow law students she fights for the respect of her peers and her teachers at the beginning of the film, she has no goals other than to get married and lead a pampered, privileged life, but she evolves into a determined young woman eager to pursue her ambitions. That is, I think, why a lot of people like this film. Mm-hmm. And valid. At the end of each episode, we each assign a number of flailings to the thing that we've been discussing. Um, How many flailings do you give Legally Blonde, Sophie? About a seven. Okay. Because I, this is a film which throughout my teenhood, I absolutely loved. Um, I still enjoy it. I like watching it. I have watched it many times and I would watch it again. Yeah. But I'm just like not actively like obsessed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How about you? I think I would actually give it, I'm going to say a three. Because while I do really like the musical, yeah, and I like the core message, watching the first film today, you're allowed to score musical and film separately. I will say, okay. <laughs> like you can give a, a, a rating for the musical and a rating for the film. Okay, the film then I'm gonna give it a two. Yeah, and I'm gonna give the musical like a five. Yeah. Because cause the film, no, no. But the musical, <laughs> I do enjoy and I do do still listen to. And like, I yeah. was like generally like trying to find like a reason to talk about it because it yeah. does has have like a lot of things like in it that I like. Yeah. But like, I'm never ever going to watch the film again. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of this episode of You Know What I Like. You can find us on um, iTunes and Stitcher and please leave a rating and a review. It helps other people to find the show and we'd love to be able to flail at more people. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to us ramble and please follow the podcast on Twitter at ykwilpodcast or drop us an email at ykwilpodcast at gmail.com. Come back next month where we get overly excited about the longest journey. See you then. <laughs>